0: Hi, it's Brendan here, and I want to tell you about Spike's new daily newsletter. It's called Today on Spike. What else? And it is unmissable. Every day it contains a roundup of all Spike's content from that day, plus some exclusive commentary from the Spike team. Spike is publishing more and more, more articles, more essays, more podcasts, and signing up to the daily newsletter is the best way to make sure you never miss any of these brilliant things. So sign up for today on Spiked. Just go to www.spiked-online.com newsletters and follow the instructions there. For Du Bois, the problem of the colour line is not that America was a sinful, foul, inescapably racist nation which segregated blacks must reject. Rather, his argument is that it is a great and virtuous republic that will be made even more so when it assimilates those whose thirst for freedom is the epoch of the ideal of American independence. That's really important because it stands in stark contrast to today's radical view of America as being born in sin and essentially being unfixable. Hello and welcome to The Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill. This episode of The Brendan O'Neill Show is different to the usual ones. It's a bonus episode for our listeners. Instead of a conversation with an esteemed guest, this episode features a talk I gave at the end of last year on W.E.B. Du Bois, focusing on his classic book, The Souls of Black Folk. In this talk, I explored Du Bois' robust liberalism and his unflinching universalism, And I also look at how anti-racism has changed, how it has changed from a noble cause driven by aspiration to one that obsesses over victimhood, from a movement for equality to what we have today, a movement that constantly emphasises difference. This lecture was one of a series of talks at the BOI Charities Academy Online 2, Race and Racism, a day of discussions about the intellectual history of race. The rest of the talks from that event, along with recordings of previous Academy events, are available on the BOI Charities Ideas Matters podcast. Head to theboi.co.uk slash podcasts to see more. I hope you enjoy the talk. A few weeks ago, I was reading about the Decolonise the Curriculum movement. Decolonise the Curriculum, of course, is an identitarian movement that wants university courses to focus less on dead white European men and more on black writers, writers of colour and what are sometimes referred to as international writers. And its argument is that black students and black people more broadly need texts that speak directly to them. They need books by authors who look like them. They need books which contain experiences and ideas that they can more readily relate to than they can the experience and ideas written about in high white culture, as they refer to it. As a professor at Oxford put it, black students must be able to recognize themselves in what they read and study, or else they will feel cheated and demeaned. And I was really struck reading this report because I found out that one of the leading decolonised movements, the one at Edinburgh University, was arguing for this book to be put on the English curriculum, Du Bois' The Souls of Black Folk, published in 1903. And its argument was that the English department at Edinburgh needed diversification. It was unreasonable to expect students to engage with so many white authors They also need to engage with people like Du Bois, where they might recognize themselves. And the reason I was surprised by this is not because I think the souls of black folk should not be on even more university courses. I absolutely think it should. I think everyone should read this book. I was surprised because the souls of black folk runs so fantastically counter to the ideology of decolonize the curriculum and to the broader ideology of identity politics. It made me wonder if decolonized activists have even read it, because Du Bois' book contains, in my view, some of the finest arguments you're likely to read against the idea of black-specific culture and against the idea that high culture is a white phenomenon that black people cannot relate to. And one of my favorite passages in the book touches on this very question. In the chapter on the training of black men and the question of what kind of education black men are fit for, Du Bois really pushes his critique of those in his time who were saying that blacks only require basic education and industrial training. And he touches on his own personal experience, his personal experience of higher education and higher culture. And in this particularly moving passage, he says the following, I sit with Shakespeare, and he winces not. Across the colour line, I move arm in arm with Balzac and Dumas. From out the caves of evening that swing between the strong-limbed earth and the tracery of the stars, I summon Aristotle and Aurelius, and they come, all graciously, with no scorn or condescension. And what I think is so important about that passage in particular, uh, you know, Du Bois' belief that Shakespeare does not wince at him or at the black reader more generally. I think it, what's important about that is it really captures the central thread of Du Bois' writing, which is its universalism, its agitation against any kind of accommodation to segregation or low expectations, and its argument for the right of black folk, as Du Bois calls them to assimilate into the spoils of civilization, or as Du Bois puts it, to become co-workers in the kingdom of culture. And to those in his time in the late 1800s and early 1900s who argued that black people needed a targeted form of culture, one that was specific to their needs and their capacities, Du Bois said, we daily hear that an education that encourages aspiration that sets the loftiest of ideals and that seeks as an end culture and character rather than breadwinning, is the privilege of white men and the danger and delusion of black men. And his riposte to those people was to say that in fact it is only through assimilation into the kingdom of culture that self-knowledge and self-improvement can truly occur. As he says, wed with truth I dwell above the veil. The veil, of course, is the veil of colour, separating blacks from whites in post-slavery America. For Du Bois, that veil was best lifted via assimilation into the American Republic's political universe and also into its kingdom of culture. I think it's worth dwelling on this, this question of how his critique of the idea that high culture was for white men would prove dangerous or at least mystifying to black men, how that critique has given way to the opposite, the polar opposite, to a new radical idea that says high culture is damaging or at least mystifying to black people, and therefore they need something more targeted. They need, essentially, they need release from the kingdom of culture. That is what the decolonized movement is essentially calling for. What does that shift tell us about the crisis of universalism? What does it tell us about the changing understanding of race and identity? Du Bois, of course, was a late 19th and early 20th century sociologist, historian, and civil rights activist. This book that we're talking about, which is a collection of his essays and articles, was published in 1903. And it contains some of his most important and influential ideas, and I want to dwell on a few of those in the next 15 minutes. The book, In Substance, is about the period between emancipation and 1900. And it's about the successes, and more importantly, the failures of assimilating the freed men and the freed women into the life and culture of America. But beyond that specific sociological focus on life for black people after slavery, it is also about the struggle to be human. And one of my favorite lines in the book is, is life not more than meat? And one of Du Bois' great concerns is the question of how we nurture the following, the sovereign human soul that seeks to know itself and the world about it. So although the book details often graphically the kind of lives none of us could imagine, the grinding poverty and the racial dehumanization of blacks in post-slavery America, it also speaks profoundly to the broader question of what it means to be human, what it means to become fully human, and what a struggle it is to become human in a society more often devoted to commerce than to self-realization. That is at the heart of Du Bois' work, and that's why this book speaks to us still, and why it should absolutely Be on university curricula around the world. The book contains Du Bois' most famous line. He said, The problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. The color line was a phrase first used by Frederick Douglass, and it refers, of course, to the continued segregation of blacks and whites following emancipation. And Du Bois is very clear and singular in his view of how the color line might be erased he says that it can be done through assimilation of black people into mainstream life. And he even goes so far as to call for conformity or to use the word conformity. He says, we must foster and develop the traits and talents of the Negro in order to bring about a large conformity to the greater ideals of the American Republic. In Du Bois' view, Blacks are not fully human without assimilation into the American Republic. And equally, America is not truly America until it achieves this assimilation. And that is really at the, at the heart of the souls of black folk, that argument. He argues that black people in post slavery America, in their very striving to conform to the values of America, he said that they were the truest exponents of the pure human spirit of the Declaration of Independence. I think this is a really important insight because for Du Bois, the problem of the colour line is not that America was a sinful, foul, inescapably racist nation which segregated blacks must reject. Rather, his argument is that it is a great and virtuous republic that will be made even more so when it assimilates those whose thirst for freedom is the epoch of the ideal of American independence. And I think that that's really important because it stands in stark contrast to today's radical view of America as being born in sin and essentially being unfixable, as being a place innately, immovably hostile to people of colour. And I think that's something worth discussing, how the optimism of assimilation has given way to the pessimism of essentialized difference, to the celebration of outsider status. And I think what Du Bois does in The Soul of Black Folk, he he addresses what he sees as the main barriers to assimilation, to the erasure of the colour line in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And roughly speaking, he sees three barriers to the erasure of the colour line. First, there are the problems within post-slavery black communities themselves. Secondly, there is the tendency towards compromise on the part of self-styled black leaders of the black community. And thirdly, there is what Du Bois refers to as the curse of double consciousness, which I think is his most important and valuable idea and really worth dwelling on in this discussion. So on the first problem, the problem of degradation in post-slavery black society, Du Bois really doesn't hold back on this. He gives his mostly white readers, most of these essays were written for the Atlantic Monthly, he gives his mostly white readers an often very grim insight into life in post-slavery communities. And he explains why the people who lived in those communities were so backward. And what he essentially says is that the, the poverty and ignorance of these communities made them susceptible to quackery and demagoguery. And he's incredibly harsh on those questions. And I think he he also, at that time, was no doubt telling some incredibly important truths. And that is one reason why he so often emphasised the importance of of education. He pushes back against those people in post-slavery communities who he would often meet. He would often meet black people in post-slavery communities who would say to him, what need of education do we have? since we must always cook and serve. And he was incredibly critical of the people who asked him that question. And on this issue in particular, Du Bois is often accused of being an elitist. He's especially criticized for his vision of what he calls the talented tenth. And the talented tenth is this idea that Du Bois had that around a tenth of black people in post-slavery America were ready for the highest forms of education and the highest forms of culture, and they were the people who should be lifted up to begin with. He also wrote about the rule of inequality. In The Souls of Black Folk, he refers to the rule of inequality, which is the notion that some people are better suited to carpentry and other people are better suited to philosophy. So as he says, make carpenters of carpenters and philosophers of philosophers. I think these criticisms of his supposed elitism are actually unfair. Du Bois had an incredibly keen understanding of the unimaginable depravity of these communities. And he was deeply sceptical of the idea that you could transport a man who had suffered the barbarism of slavery into what he called the gilded halls of a place like Harvard University. And for him, the talented 10th the elevation of black people who were most prepared for the kingdom of culture. He saw that as part of a broader, longer-term effort towards, as he described it, the permanent uplifting and civilization of black men in America. So in keeping with his robust, progressive liberalism, this was once again about focusing on the goal of assimilation, into society and also conformity to the virtues of the American Republic. And then on to the second reason why post-slavery assimilation failed in Du Bois' view. He says that the other core reason is the tendency towards compromise among black leaders or self-styled black leaders. And this is one of the most important arguments that Du Bois pursued constantly during his writing life. In The Souls of Black Folk, it takes the form of a stinging critique of Booker T. Washington. Washington was a a black American educator and orator and a self-styled leader of black people post-slavery. And one of his key arguments was that really black people should be satisfied with work and general fairness and, and they shouldn't bother themselves with ideas of voting rights, civil rights, and access to the kingdom of culture. And that outlook, this idea that, you know, black people should be relieved that they had been liberated from slavery and, and count their blessings that they had jobs and general security, that contributed to the Atlanta Compromise of 1895. And the Atlanta Compromise of 1895 was a deal struck between Booker T. Washington and others and the political leaders of the racist South. And this compromise essentially decreed that blacks should give up their demands for full political rights and access to the kingdom of culture in return for two things, basic education and due process in law. And what's interesting is that Du Bois initially supported the Atlanta compromise, but then he turned against it vociferously, as outlined in The Souls of Black Folk. And what he was really expressing in this book is a very strong sense of resistance against any form of accommodation to segregation because the Atlanta Compromise was, and the work of Booker T. Washington was fundamentally an accommodation to the ideology of segregation and to the essentialism of difference. And I think that's another incredibly important lesson for today and a reason why Du Bois' book speaks to us so profoundly even in the 21st century his resistance against accommodation to the idea of difference is something that is worth thinking about right now. And then there's the third barrier to assimilation in the post-slavery world as Du Bois saw it, which I think is his most interesting idea, which is the idea of double consciousness. And this is a really important idea in Du Bois' writing. It's been incredibly influential in the world of sociology and history. And for Du Bois, the crisis of double consciousness among blacks in post-slavery America really described a situation where there was a dearth of true self-consciousness or a dearth of even the capacity and the opportunity for true self-consciousness. And he said that the problem with the black man in the late 1800s and the early 1900s is that he lives in a world which yields him no true self-consciousness. And instead, among black people, he said, there is a sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. He said that inside the American Negro, there is two-ness, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body. And those warring ideals, in his view, were the degraded consciousness of the self as a worker and an aspiring citizen, and the consciousness of the self created by others, by the measuring tape of a hostile, essentialized world. And I think this is an incredibly valuable way of understanding not only the problem of racism at the turn of the 20th century, and its provocation against universalism. I think that's that's a very important specific understanding of that time. But I also think the idea of double consciousness is an interesting and valuable way to understand the broader problem of alienation, and I would argue the broader problem of identity politics that we face in the contemporary period. What Du Bois was interested in was creating the conditions in which double consciousness or alienation or hyper-alienation in the case of post-slavery black people, he was interested in creating the conditions in which that might be overcome. And this is the reason he makes the philosophical case for the kingdom of culture, the political case for conformity to the American Republic, and the tangible case for political and civil rights. He makes those arguments in order to help create the conditions in which we might overcome double consciousness or as he says it, in which black people might attain self-conscious manhood, the merging of the double self into a better and truer self. And I think that's the part of the book that speaks most keenly to people across the ages, regardless of whether we have experienced or understood the conditions that he was writing about in his reports for the Atlantic Monthly. And one of the things that strikes me is that in the contemporary era, We are regressing on precisely the kind of robust, liberal, pro-high culture values and virtues that someone like Du Bois was promoting. And in particular, in relation to the issue of double consciousness, it now strikes me that we live in an era in which we are encouraged not to overcome double consciousness, not to overcome alienation, not to overcome the tooness that we often all feel, but rather to make a virtue of those things to make a virtue of viewing oneself through the measuring tape of a world that is often hostile to us or misunderstanding of what we need in order to be co-workers in the kingdom of culture. And I think that line in Du Bois's book, the way in which black people in the South were always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, I think that's such an important insight into the problems of the human condition more broadly and the political regression of identitarian politics more specifically. Because what we have today is the sacrifice of the self to the broader cult of group identity, the dissolving of individual agency and consciousness into the group culture of identity politics and its hollow promises. Du Bois' most important contribution is around the theme of the sovereign human soul. And one of the things I think is most important about the souls of black folk is that Du Bois is very open about the fact that it is both capitalism and socialism, which is often hostile to the realization of the sovereignty of the human soul. And he has a part in the book where he says he's open to the ideas of socialism, particularly to the extent that they can help to liberate people from the grinding nature of work but he's sceptical of socialism to the extent that it seems to devalue or not take notice of the importance of the sovereign human soul and the unleashing of that individual potential. And I think that's actually a very pertinent critique. I say this as someone who comes from a Marxist background, but I do think one of the weak spots of socialism and Marxism was its neglect of the importance of the sovereign human soul, of the sovereign individual, and the fact that the sovereign human soul is the building block of a better culture and a better society. So I think the key argument in this book, the key ideal, the thing that I think we should take forward is what Du Bois is really getting at, which is the ideal of the sovereign individual freely choosing to submit himself to the virtues of community. And that's something I think which is incredibly positive, incredibly valuable. And I think it's a really good guard against the regressive, racialized, essentialized politics of the contemporary period. And what we have today is a situation where the color line has been essentialized and psychologized rather than being overcome. So earlier writers and anti racists wanted to erase the color line. In the contemporary period, we have a situation where the color line has been redefined, psychologized, and made a central fact of everyday life, which strikes me as an incredibly backward step on the great intellectual gains made by someone like Du Bois. Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?